sensitive content warning. This episode, I'll be talking about domestic violence. It may be triggering for some, so feel free to take it slow, to pause it and come back to it, or to just skip it all together. But make sure you check out the show notes where there's some important links where you or your loved one can find help. You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. I, like most of you, have my favorite podcasts, and they are a mixture of things that make me laugh, things that make me think, things that help me learn. Um, and things that are just all around entertaining. One of my favorite podcasts is called Friends Like Us, hosted by comedian Marina Franklin. And I love it because, you know, it's comedians, so they uh, always end up making you laugh uh, throughout the episode. But I also love it because they tackle topics that... Um, in true comedian fashion, right, that a lot of other folks might shy away from just because it's it's not funny or it's not uh, fun. And on the November 22nd episode of 2017, this is a while back, um, they did an episode, they had all their guests, and one of the things they talked about was sexual assault and the underreporting of sexual assault why the numbers are so underreported, and particularly in the Black community. And um, I I wrote, I I journal, and um, I'm just going to read you guys what I wrote um, when I listened to that episode. Listening to a podcast, they're asking why women of color are not coming out with more sexual assault allegations. I wish I could call in and help them out. Number one, no one believes us. Number two, retaliation. Number four, we are shamed for things we have no control over, like having curves. So it's our fault for looking like this. Number five, no one believes us. Number six, community ostracization. Number seven, sentencing inequities. We want justice, but the justice system does the absolute most with ours. Number eight, we have a hard enough time pushing past all the other labels and stereotypes and limits placed on us already. We don't need more of a fight. Number nine, we're always doing a disproportionate amount of the work. We're tired. Number 10, no one believes us. You know, there's been a lot going on um, in pop culture, there always is. And I'm not super big into following celebrities and things like that. Um, but I am online. And I think if you're online, there's some things that you just can't miss. One of the things that I couldn't miss recently was uh, Megan Thee Stallion and the Tory Lanez um, dispute that led to Tory Lanez allegedly shooting Megan the Stallion in the feet. Now I say allegedly because that's the allegation and that allegation is made by Megan the Stallion herself who 
said that Tory Lanez shot her in her feet. That's when things got really triggering for me because in the Twitter streets, people were calling her a snitch. People were saying, well, what did she do? People were really saying, well, we don't have all the facts and we need to wait before we hang Tori out to dry to get all the information. And basically it sounded pretty much like it sounds when a police officer kills a black man um, without an arrest, without a trial and without sentencing. So all the stuff that we're used to hearing in those scenarios is what Black people, I'm not talking about white people, I'm not talking about, you know, any other um, communities, I'm talking about our community was saying these things about uh, that altercation. And it really struck a nerve with me, um, I think because um, I am a black woman, and I have never been shot in my feet, but I have been assaulted, and I have reported assaults, and I have been not believed and I have, you know, gone through uh, enough of that stuff to understand that um, there's no reason to make it up and there's no reason to lie. I'm not saying that that never happens. Um, Hopefully that's a very small percentage of the time. The numbers say that uh, our assaults and Uh, sexual assault and domestic violence are underreported, not just for black women, but for all women, um, but more so for us. So, you know, it was one of those things that I'm just turning over in my mind, just thinking like, dang, you know, why are we this way? And then I came across this quote. And I don't know whose quote it is, because it was one of those Instagram things where it's just the white box and the words, but it says in quotations, black women can't be your shield and your target. And I just felt that in my soul, you guys. Um, I want to back up and just talk about myself for a second, not necessarily the ex that I had that was abusive, but growing up with black men, you know, I had my dad, had my brothers, and they're as you know, right, it's different for them. Coming of age is different for them. Self-actualization as a black man, I'm not sure if that's possible in the United States of America. And the reason that I say that is because part of self-actualizing is security. And part of security is safety. And it never really feels like we're fully safe. We hear so many stories about people who were in their homes, you know, um, Botham St. John in his home, you know, and murdered. So I think that there's a lot of layers to this problem. Um, you know, our men are under different stress. Now, please don't come at me like, oh my God, I can't believe we came out of the gate defending men who abuse women. It's not what I'm doing at all. I know from loving black men, that the stresses that they're under are different and have a different intensity, a different frequency, the barriers um, to education, the barriers to freedom itself, the barriers to, um, you know, being able to be gainfully employed. You know, what do employers do? They run background checks. Well, 
guess what? The school prison pipeline starts in elementary school. So actually it starts in preschool. So, you know, to make it to adulthood and try to get a gainfully employed job is difficult. And, and men, um, you know, their work means a lot to them and, and oftentimes over factors into their uh, self-worth. Um, and so I know that that stress is different. And I know that as a black woman trying to love black men, um, it can be very complicated because we can understand uh, to an extent, right, the added stress and the added steps to do anything, you know, from getting a license to getting a job to getting into college. I mean, by now, I hope most of you have read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. If you haven't read it, you should just buy a copy. And it's one of those books that is a slow and hard read because it is painful. It's it's painful, but we have to understand what our our community is up against. If you don't know your enemy, you can't fight your enemy. And um, anyway, I I feel like I'm rambling a bit, so I'm going to try to reel it back in, and I'm going to do that with some statistics. Um, I do want to say that there is a hotline in the show notes uh, for the National Domestic Violence Hotline and, and information that can be accessed online or by phone. If you're going to put that number in your phone, put it under an auntie's name, put it under a friend, a female friend's name or or something that is not going to tip anybody off that you are trying to get away. Um, and, I, and I say that um, very seriously. I have stayed in a shelter before. There were names on the doors of every room in the shelter. And it was a very dark time in my life when I found myself there. Um, and I just, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to engage. I didn't want to go to the group meetings, which I did go to and were really, really eye-opening. Um, but there were names. There were plaques with names on every door. And I finally asked, what are the names on the doors for? And I was told those are the names of women who have stayed here, returned home to their abusers, and were murdered by their abusers. So I don't want any of this information to be taken lightly. Um, I don't want, you know, if you're in a situation that is violent, um, I hope that this episode doesn't put you at risk. I hope that it's being played in your ears or in your car when nobody else is around. We're under different stress than we've ever been under. There was domestic violence before we were in a quarantine. So imagine how much worse it is for the people living in violent situations who now have job loss factored on top of that and financial strain on top of that. And, you know, just all the different things that um, make this quarantine really difficult for people who are in unsafe situations. There's another article in the show notes called Black Women and Domestic Violence. um, And it it really lays out some statistics. um, And I'm just going to share some of those with you. That in the United States, one in three women and one in 10 men will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. 
So we're not leaving the fellows out in this conversation, but it is a little centered around women. Each year, domestic violence is estimated to affect 10 million people in the United States. Yet for black women, the numbers are even more stark. More than 40% of black women will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. And that's in comparison to the 31.5% of all women that will experience domestic violence. Um, these are, these numbers, ugh, okay. <laughs> They're a lot. They're a lot. Um, a report from the National Center of Victims of Crime found that 53.8% of black women had experienced psychological abuse, while 41.2% of black women had experienced physical abuse. More disturbingly, black women are 2.5 times more likely to be murdered by men than white women. An overwhelming majority of these cases, 92%, the person who killed them knew their victim. 56% of these homicides were committed by a current or former intimate partner, and nearly all, 92%, of these killings were intra-racial, which means they were committed by a black man against a black woman. We're talking about being a target and a shield. Um, I think one of the most difficult things to conclude when you are in a relationship with somebody and you love that person and you see their potential and they either do not see their potential or they're so frustrated by all the barriers to them reaching their potential, it is hard to say enough is enough. I've done all that I can do. I need help. When I look at those numbers and I see women literally being murdered, and I think about Megan Thee Stallion and the fact that this man had a gun and she could have been one of those women easily, yet was still shot in the feet. And we sit there our own community and question and want all this explanation. Like, I mean, it's hurtful. I guess I'll just say that it's really, really hurtful. You know, I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen that thing that says she's someone's mother. She's someone's daughter. She's someone's sister. She's someone. So we have all of this traumatic history, generations before us, and we do the best we can and we die. And the next generation does the best they can and then they die. And this goes on and on and on. And we're all trying to, I don't want to say reach enlightenment because I don't want to sound so woo-woo, but one of the things that we learn in nursing is about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Maslow's hierarchy of needs basically says, before you can worry about this, you got to have this. So the first level is basic needs, and that is food, water, warmth, rest. Full stop. To get food, you have to be able to afford it or be able to qualify for a benefit that helps you to get food. Uh, or you have to stand in long lines at food banks, which do not have hours that are conducive to working for the most part. 
you have for water, you have to, again, have the finances. You know, one of the first things that we did um, when the pandemic hit was help people pay their water bills. Those who were able could donate. Those who were in need could request because they were just like, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. And I've lived without running water for almost a year. And so as soon as I kept hearing like, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, it was like, oh my God, what about all the people who do not have the ability to do that? You know, and um, anyway, that was that was rough. Um, but, you know, that's a basic need. So before you're going on to the next thing, you're you're you got to get food, you got to get water, warmth, same barriers, right? You need money, you need shelter. Hello, got to have somewhere to be <laughs> to have this heat and water and food and rest. Rest is something that you need a certain level of peace to be able to get. And I'll just leave it at that. The next um, thing, once you have your food, your water, your warmth and rest worked out is safety needs, security and safety. Where does security come from, you guys? What makes you feel secure? What makes you feel safe? Think about what are those things. For me, I feel the most secure and the most safe when I'm in my home with my family and my dogs. I'm privileged because I have a home and I have a family and I have dogs. Everybody is not working under those circumstances where they have a home that is theirs, is theirs alone. If you're in a situation where you financially need two people to pay the bills and one of those people is beating you, what are you supposed to do? Where are you supposed to go? You know, and, and then we protect them because we don't want them to get locked up because then how are we going to meet those very basic food, uh, basic needs of food and water and warmth and rest and safety and security? Even if that person's unsafe, listen, as somebody who was in a relationship for two years with a man who um, had done time in prison, had trouble finding a job, had trouble, you know, when you're, if you have a felony, you can't get um, federal student aid. You can't even, you know, get help to go back to school to, to better yourself so that you can be a contributing member of society. Hello. I mean, that's why I say, if you haven't read The New Jim Crow, please check that book out because we can be the hardest on each other. We can be harder on ourselves then, I mean, and as a community, we can be harder on ourselves than we are to anybody else. You know, we, we're hard on our own kids, but then make excuses for other people's kids. We're hard on our own spouses, but then when our homegirl is telling us about what she's going through with her guy, we're like, well, maybe this and maybe that, you know. Um, and we do that. I know that we do that out of the need, you know, we need our kids to be able to survive. You know, we need our spouses to come home. Um, It's so, there's so many layers, you guys. And this is why I preach peace practices and prayer and meditation and yoga and Reiki so much because we have so much healing work to do as individuals, as family units, and as a community. From there, the hierarchy of needs goes into um, belonging um, intimate relationships and friends, um, 
prestige, feelings of accomplishments, and then self-actualization. So um, I started talking about that, talking about how so many black men and so many black people are just never able to self-actualize because of systemic racism, um, because of the oppressive nature of the world that we live in. And that makes you angry. Um, I'll tell y'all something. <sighs> trying to trying to find my words because um, sometimes I'm just so passionate about things and I really want to get the point across, but I get emotional. So bear with me, please bear with me. I used to hate window shopping. Um, my mom was a thrifter. My mom is a thrifter. My sister had a very uh, good eye. They were both really great with home decor. Um, and they liked to just look at things. And I hated it. I hated it because if I saw something that I wanted, I couldn't have it. I had to think of a way to, you know, uh, get the money and, and, and had to, you know, take away from this pot and put into that. And then, you know, if I did spend on something, I felt guilty because that money could have always gone to like 10 more things that maybe made more sense, but didn't make me as happy. And I just, I never liked shopping. I never liked window shopping in particular. Um, because, you know, I, I, it was just a constant reminder for me of what I didn't have, if that makes sense. And when it comes to self-actualization, before you can be it, you have to see it, right? So there's a couple ways that this plays out in our community. Um, because we're sometimes not as mobile, um, you know, it, it's very costly to move, especially to move out of an area altogether, so we're not like super mobile, right? So we see what's in our neighborhood. We see what's around us, but we might not get out too far beyond that. If you do <laughs> venture out beyond, you know, the imaginary walls of, of your county or your neighborhood or your part of town, you start to see things that uh, you wouldn't normally see. For me, that started to happen uh, when I got my first hospital job. You know, I was 18 years old. Great. I had them running start. Great. I had my certificate of medical transcription. I was working at the hospital and um, transcribing, but also working as a unit secretary. So I was around doctors. I was around nurses. I was around anesthesiologists, respiratory therapists. I was around their conversation. Mind you, I was the unit secretary. So, you know, my job was like the lowest paying job of, of all the jobs. Um, which is also, you know, just something to talk in the back of your mind. I'm the only black person there and I have the lowest paying job, even though, you know, I had some college under my belt at the time. Anyway, I was exposed to the conversation around me and that conversation was, oh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, we went to the coast or, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. Where you been? Oh, we went on this vacation or we went to Europe or we went to, you know, Mexico. And it was like, this stuff for me was like, what? These people are traveling to other countries. These people are, wait, when all my days off, I'm trying to catch up on laundry and spend some time with my kid. You know what I mean? 
And so it was just such a foreign concept, but I was around that so much that it created this inner turmoil of why can't I? Why can't I? And and this is something that I think a lot of us experience, especially now, like the time I'm talking about in the, in the 90s, in the late 90s, we didn't have all that social media. Now you got people, you know, flexing, full-blown, just this is what, look at these shoes, look at this car, look at this girl, this house. Every time, you know, um, people are accomplishing things, you know, there's a social media post like, hey, you know, winning. And if you're not winning, <laughs> or if you are that person with a lower level job around all those other people who are just living literally their best life, it is really difficult to not be angry. And I'm not talking about punch a hole in the wall angry. I'm talking about a deep inner stewing. You know, I thought it was going to be different. I thought I had a chance. My resume was better than theirs. I have more experience. And I'll tell you, the Everest effect is like the higher you go, the wider it gets. That's real. And even if you do, quote unquote, make it, you got all these siblings and cousins and aunties. And, you know, when somebody dies in your family and you have some means and nobody else does, at least for me, there's a little bit of an obligatory feeling of like, yo, I'm I'm going to put up some money for this. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a loved one who died and I don't want my other loved ones taking out high interest loans or or pawn and stuff to pay for a funeral. Like come on, so you so what do we end up doing? We end up digging deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Into our own pockets and then what's going on around us? The people um you know, maybe at work or online or wherever are winning and there's this deep sense of like how come I can't make this work? And if we are not careful, we will take it out on the people closest to us, whether that's our intimate partner, whether that's our children, whether that's our friends. Some of us, you know, if you look at your friend groups and your trends of friendships, how long do you, are you able to keep friends? What are the reasons why you and your friends part ways? If we're not careful and if we don't really pay attention to these core beliefs that we're taking hold of, we can hurt people because hurting people hurt people. That's how that works. And if you hurt no one else, the body keeps score. If you hurt no one else, if you keep everything to yourself and don't have a healthy outlet, you pay the toll in hypertension or cancer or some other, you know, illness that is a manifestation of this deep-rooted anger and frustration. And so my whole goal in making this episode is to reiterate that quote like we cannot be both a target and a shield. We can't. But if you got one of us, 
and we're down for you and believe in you and see your potential and love you, then you have somebody who, whether it works out for you financially or career-wise or whatever or not, you know, if things work out the way you want them to or not, will still love you for who you are. And so I just pray that these manifestations of these deeper problems is something that we can get in check. That is my hope and my prayer with this. My hope is also that um, sisters were taking care of ourselves, that brothers were being honest. We got to stop this whole culture of, you know, not letting our boys cry, not holding our men when they cry, you know, not allowing our our male and masculine uh, friends and family members and children to release. They hurt too. And a lot of times the way that that hurt comes out is as a projection of hurting somebody else. We can't afford that. We can't afford to do that. And so we really have to learn how to be both a safe place for ourselves and a safe place for one another. I know we don't want to call the police because God only knows how that'll end up, especially if it's a, a call for something violent. You know, brothers, I need you to understand when we're being a shield for you, sometimes it's to our own demise. We don't want y'all to be murdered. We just don't want to be choked, <laughs> you know? Um we know that the sentencing is harsher for y'all. So we don't, we don't even want that for you, but we also want to feel safe. So everybody has a role here. We got to pay attention to our intuition. It's there for a reason. Everything we need, we have within us. And if we can just tune into that and be real, you know, and let the men talk, let them cry, um, let the women talk. Let them cry. Fellas, you know, one of the hardest things for me, um, being married to a black man uh, for many years now, it's that when I am venting about something, I'm not asking him to fix it. I'm not judging him for fixing it. But he wants me to be okay so bad. He feels that added burden, you know, that... I got to fix this. Like, my girl's not okay. What do I have to do? I need you guys to free yourselves from that. You know, I need you to detach from that idea that, you know, if if I have a bad day, you're not doing your job. <laughs> that is not, that is not even reality for anybody, you know? So we, we just have a lot of healing work to do as a community, um, men and women. You know, uh, men are victims of domestic violence, too, for many of the same reasons and some different reasons. You know, when I started having kids, it was like I had to put my whole career on hold, you know, because I was either pregnant or breastfeeding. And then, you know, daycare costs so much, you know, it's it's cost so much. You you have to have a really good job to be able to afford full time daycare and if you can't, then you wait for your kids to start school. And that there's a frustration in that, especially if you're driven and you're like a career person and you want to be at work um, and you're suffering financially. Like sometimes it's hard to embrace the season that you're in. 
Look for the lesson. Embrace the season. But if your season is a season of abuse, if you are being hurt, um, check out the links in the show notes. We have to start believing each other. And we know we have to be there for each other because who else is there for us? Thank you for bearing with me while I struggled to get my thoughts out on this topic. Um, I hope it is received in the spirit. I share it. And that's the spirit of love. Thank you for listening. And as always, if you're able to, eat fresh and dance. Bye. for listening to the purple stethoscope i'm your host devin nixon family nurse practitioner you can find me on social media at d the np that's on twitter facebook instagram and now patreon if you liked what you heard go ahead and share this episode and then head over to patreon to see how you can further support this work